Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Dean and Castiel from Supernatural. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. get into the episode uh there is a part in this that might be confusing to you uh if you know current events in the supernatural world so we're coming to you from the future (laughs) to give you a a little warning yes the Um, future of when we recorded the episode still your past dear listener don't worry don't worry we have not invented an actual time machine i know that you're concerned about that um but there was a supernatural fan convention that happened after we recorded this episode where some things were said that i think a lot of people have some thoughts about and including us us. so we will be giving you those thoughts in a future episode but when we get into the what the actors say bit of things it may sound like we're ignoring an important part of the story but we are not ignoring it it had just not happened yet yes So uh, keep that in mind as you're writing your comments, questions, concerns. We didn't miss it either. We know know about it. We're well aware. (laughs) Just uh, in your mind, consider this the pre-season 15, what the actors said and did. And we will get into the post-season 15 in a future episode. All right. Back to our regularly scheduled episode, Madeline. Ready to go. So hey, we're uh, we're doing it. We're really doing it. I, I know we didn't end up playing this up as much as we wanted to over the course of the podcast, but this is a big one. This is a 15 season long show on the CW. There's the most a lot content we've of content, ever had. and it's just sort of like on the Mount Rushmore of queer baiting. Like if if people Google uh, queer baiting, Maddie, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, but. This is a thing where, like, in the discussion of queer rating on TV, this is one of the, the big names. So if you are in fandom, you felt the glaring absence of it in our conversation over the course of this podcast. But we really wanted to get the hang of the podcast before we even attempted to talk Oh, we needed it. to feel ready. We had to build up our skill set <laughs> to be able to discuss Supernatural. But I will say, uh, if there is a specific inspiration for this podcast. In my mind, this is a big part of that. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, what is it? Who are these people? For people who are uninitiated. As you mentioned, uh, Supernatural was a long-running show on the CW about a pair of brothers and then assorted other characters who Mm -hmm. fight the supernatural. But we aren't talking about the brothers today. You're talking about one of the brothers. (laughs) Dean. Yes. And uh, an angel of the Lord, Castiel, who joins the show in the fourth season. So, yeah, the the early days of the show are sort of like a monster of the week, you know, driving around and fighting various Wendigos and Rougarous and vampires and witches. A lot of ghosts. So many ghosts. But then as you get into the later seasons, around season four, when Castiel appears, the lore and the world of the show really opens up. It becomes about 
the apocalypse. So there's angels, there's demons, there's all manner of stuff going on with the story. And Dean and Cass have this pretty like intense. the relate an intense relationship exactly what you would expect if we're telling you that this show is known for its you know legendary queer mating they're these guys they're really intensely attached to each other they have this deeper connection than anyone else around them they've got tension but also banter you know it's what you'd think so we're looking at the show supernatural that's the source <laughs> Yes. And how much of it have you seen? So I have seen, I think the first like seven and a half seasons. I This is the show in my life that I binge watched the hardest I've ever binge watched any show. So I started watching it in real time before the premiere of season six. Mm-hmm. And I watched like the end of season one, all of season two, and the start of season three in a day. Holy so, shit. Yeah. <laughs> And this is not a short show. This is like a They're hour network. long episodes. So well, and it's a, you know, like minutes. 23 episodes a season, yeah. like not short seasons. So when I say I binged it really hard, I binged it hard. But yeah, I dropped off like seven and a half seasons in and then I've watched some episodes for the podcast after that. Maddie, what have you seen? What's your experience with Supernatural? My experience is not dissimilar to yours in the beginning. I also did not start watching the show when it was on. I think I started watching it maybe somewhere around season eight. So I had many seasons to binge (laughs) to get into it. I had actually put off watching it because Jared Padalecki, who plays Sam on this show, plays a character on Gilmore Girls that I really hated. <laughs> I had so, the exact same experience. I avoided the show because Dean on Gilmore Girls yeah. sucks. He's so shitty. I really hated him. And I hated him so much that I refused to watch the show for eight years, <laughs> even though I heard good things about it. You know, people were telling me they liked it. I was seeing it on the internet. Once the Dean and Cast stuff art started happening, that was like all over Tumblr or whatever. Mm -hmm. Everyone was there being like, you got to be watching Supernatural. So I started watching it around season eight. I did the the big binge. And then I watched it like mostly contemporaneously as it aired. I would definitely like miss a season and then binge that season sort of thing. I wasn't like watching it every Thursday when it came out or whatever. But I was mostly keeping up. And then when we went to prepare for this episode, I was... I think I hadn't watched the last like six to eight episodes of the final season. So yeah, I went back. I finished my final six episodes. I also watched the set that we had you watch, just the like important Dean and Cass episodes to get myself refreshed because I hadn't seen some of them in many years. But I have seen every episode and some of them multiple times. All right. We can get into the why people ship them. And I think there are a couple of categories of this because there's the Dean and Cass of it all and why people ship them in particular. But there's also this element of the character of Dean Winchester. And even before Castiel entered the scene, there was an idea among the fandom that Dean Winchester might not be straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he is your sort of prototypical womanizing, partying, drinking, cool guy you know, hero that people write in shows like this. And he is named after the character Dean Moriarty from On the Road, the Jack Kerouac book On the Road. Sam and Dean both are the main characters and then are Sal and Dean. And Dean Moriarty, which 
fans of the show love to point out, is a canonically bisexual character. So Mm -hmm. he's based on the real life guy, Neil Cassidy, who was also kind of like a, you know, womanizing heavy drinker guy, but happened to be carrying on a 20 year relationship with Allen Ginsberg in the midst of all of that. Sure. So there's that, like that's where we set the scene unrelated, but Castiel's character is kind of based on John Constantine, the character from comic books, who I believe is also canonically bisexual, but that's unrelated to this conversation. So yeah, that's like where we enter in with Dean. So Dean is a character who, yes, is always hitting on whatever women are around, but from the very beginning of the show, you're sort of getting the idea that he is like performing a lot of his masculinity. There are things that he does where you can tell that like he's putting up this front. It becomes commented on in the show pretty early. There's a time when Sam even says to Dean, you are kind of butch. They probably think you're compensating. And you're like, yeah, (laughs) we do think that. And I think, right, it's tied to his larger character of like, he can't, manage his emotions at all Mm -hmm. he's a very damaged character he's incredibly damaged for a lot of reasons he's just such an like intricate and interesting character i think this is why people have stuck with the show for this long when it has Mm -hmm. had narrative highs and lows of quality because you just get really attached to the characters the entry point into the show is that their mother died when they were little dean was four and sam was a baby and their father has been dragging them around the country their entire lives trying to find the demon that killed their mother. And so Dean has sort of been in this like role where he's had to take care of Sam for his whole life because their dad has been absentee. very parentified and made to feel extremely responsible for Sam since he was a child. Since he was four years old and his father put his baby brother in his arms and like made him responsible for the kid it's it's real fucked up but anyway yeah dean is he has all these weird things going on with his emotions he's super repressed his dad is obviously like done a number on his psyche and so he is doing anything he can to be the type of man that his father would you know think of as manly but yeah that gets undercut over and over by all of the things that he does all of the time (laughs) he's a lot more complicated than he seems in the first episode So just I'll run through like a number of random Dean Winchester is bisexual touch points (laughs) that the fans have been talking about over the course of the show. So Dean is obsessed with this, like an an in-show show. show Yeah, just Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I can never really get a read on if it's Grey's Anatomy or like General Hospital. Like it seems very. I feel like you're about to tell us the name of the character, but I feel like it's it's definitely a reference. It's very McDreamy, right? So yes, yeah. The the name of the show is Doctor Sexy, and the main guy is this doctor who's real sexy, (laughs) and Dean is obsessed with this show. And there's a I can't even really get into how Supernatural works, but they have a tendency to do pretty off the wall ideas for their episodes. So there is an episode where they're getting put into these various worlds and they get put into the world of Dr. Sexy and the way that Dean knows that it's fake is Dr. Sexy comes over and introduces himself to them. And Dean is so flustered and can like (laughs) hardly even introduce himself to Dr. Sexy because he's so excited. But then he notices that it's not Dr. Sexy because he's wearing regular shoes instead of cowboy boots. And he's like, I think everyone knows that what makes Dr. Sexy sexy is that he wears cowboy boots. (laughs) 
And yeah. you're just like, he's a super fan of Dr. Sexy. And the cowboy boots plays into another obsession of Dean's, which is cowboys generally. He's uh-huh. like incredibly obsessed with cowboys. He's a fan of a lot of things, actually. It's an interesting yeah. element of his character. There's another time when they meet a professional wrestler that he had really loved from his childhood. And he does the same thing where it's like he can't even talk around the guy and he's so excited to meet him. And the guy gives him a wink during his performance and Dean right. is like, oh. <laughs> so then there are other just like random references that people have hit upon. There's a time when he talks about having gone to purgatory, which he does in the show multiple times. But he's referencing having gone to purgatory to one of their friends. And the friend is like, wait, like actual purgatory? And Dean says, no, the one in Miami, which everyone loves because there's a famous gay bar in Miami named Purgatory. <laughs> and it's like, how does Dean know that? <laughs> how does Dean know that? Classic Dean moment. He just generally has like, what you would think of as kind of flirty moments with various men over the course of the show. Like, you know, he'll meet some cop in town on a case that they're doing and there's a lot of like charged eye contact and, you know, that sort of thing. There's this fantastic moment in an episode called Everybody Hates Hitler where this guy has been tailing Dean. They're working at cross purposes. He's trying to figure out what Dean's doing in town and he's been following him around. And Dean notices that he has a tail, so he goes over to confront the guy, and the guy, in a stroke of genius, decides to throw Dean off the scent by pretending he's been following him around because he thought that they were flirting. Like, he's Mm -hmm. like, I thought we had, like, a moment. Was I wrong? We didn't have a moment? And Dean, like, shuts down. (laughs) He has no way of reacting to this guy flirting with him. He becomes so flustered, he can hardly talk. And then he stumbles away from the interaction. He tells him, no, no, I'm an FBI agent. I'm here on a case. And the guy's like, is that supposed to make you less interesting? And Dean's like, (laughs) his eyes get real wide. And then the guy ends up being like, you have a good day, officer. And Dean's like, you, you, you have a good day. (laughs) He's walking backwards and he bumps into a table. There's a time when they're, what they're fighting is a siren. That's the monster of the week. And every character who has been victimized by this siren is someone who got like seduced into sleeping with the siren because that's how you would think a siren works yeah and then the siren ends up getting their clutches on dean but they are not a sexy woman seducing him they are a man (laughs) and i guess the way they try to play it in episode is like what dean truly wanted was a little brother because he's been fighting with sam like they try to sell it like that but up until then the only way they have described a siren is that it's someone who sexually sexually seduces their victim and then all of a sudden at the end it's like or they could be a little brother brother figure (laughs) fascinating there's a time when they walk in on a guy who's like having a threesome or something and the women leave and then dean walks over to the naked guy in bed lifts up the covers looks at his naked body and it's just sort of like Hmm. hey yeah like (laughs) yeah that's weird (laughs) what are you doing you lunatic They have this friend named Charlie, who's a lesbian, who at one point, she's like trying to get information off a computer in some building. She has to get past a security guard. She doesn't know how to flirt with the security guard because it's a guy. And Dean is like, oh, no worries. I can walk you through it. (laughs) And so he like talks to her through flirting with this guy and tells her all of the things that she should say, because of course, he's an expert at flirting with guys. There's... This super weird scene that I still have never been able to figure out what the, like, 
intended textual meaning of it is. Yes. Where Dean is talking to a priest, you know, for some reason on a case. And he's in the confessional booth and he starts to actually kind of like give confession in an interesting way. And he says to the priest, I'm reading verbatim and then you tell me what you think this means. There's things, there's people, feelings that I, I want to experience differently than I have before, or maybe even for the first time. I'm just starting to think that there's more to it all than I thought. Yeah, it's very interesting to say there's people I want to experience differently. Yeah. Like how? Like how, though? People and feelings that you want to experience differently. Like how, how, how do you want to experience those people? Questions were raised. Yeah. <laughs> so just generally, that's the context of like Dean Winchester. There, people are not, when, when they ship him with Cass, are not just like, it's not one of those situations where people are like, but he's totally straight. Like he's only ever been interested in women. And you're just making up that he now is interested in this guy. I think there's a textual reading for bisexual Dean Winchester that exists completely separate. Right. And predates Cass as well. Right. But then Cass shows up. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Cass showing up. How does he show up, Kelsey? So as we mentioned, at the end of season three, Dean goes to hell. Uh-huh. Uh, not on a fun trip. He, he, he dies and he goes to hell and he's there for a while. Yeah, he has, he has sold his soul to save his brother and yeah. then ends up going to hell. Fun times all around. And season four starts with him like clawing his way out of his grave, which is pretty, it's pretty great. Honestly. It's like, a really good episode. It's guys. really good. <laughs> but anyway, he's like lost all his scars on his body because obviously they've been fighting monsters with tons of scars, but he has this handprint on his shoulder now. And he's like, mm. what is this? Evocative. And like he keeps being in places and like this high frequency will play in the atmosphere and like all the TVs blow up and he doesn't know what's going on. And so I guess at the end of the episode, right, he's in a barn. He's been trying to figure out what's going on. And it's thunder and lightning. And this guy shows up in a trench coat. Yeah, the doors of the barn blow inward. No one even touches them. And he's like backlit by the lightning storm. And all of the lights in the room are all like popping. and Right, they're exploding as he walks by. And and Dean's like, who are you? And Cat, it's Cass, spoiler, says to him, just like one of the greatest most iconic supernatural lines one of my favorite things in the world yeah he says to him i'm the one who gripped you tight and raised you from perdition which is like a metal line <laughs> it's so metal but it's like also like just like oof okay yeah wow. okay he seems sure. confident yeah. yeah so there there's this whole like he tells him he's an angel of the lord dean doesn't believe that angels exist dean tries to stab him with a demon blade and nothing happens he just pulls the knife out and it's like pretty awesome <laughs> yeah it's a really good character introduction yeah because you really you're three seasons into a show you know all of the main players and to introduce someone who's gonna be important you know it's right. not easy to do well what's funny is right they thought he was not going to be yeah he had a three episode art and it's like you can't introduce a character like that and then just get rid of him. What are we doing? I know. It's one of the coolest introductions of a character I've ever seen. And then you're like, yeah, he'll, he'll be around for three episodes. Yeah. But of course, people liked him so much, they ended up writing him into the show. And yes. the rest was history. So their relationship is pretty contentious at first because he's, you know, loyal to God. Yeah. Angels in the world of Supernatural and kind of in like 
the world of the Bible, are heaven soldiers. They're there to follow God's orders. And they're not really like the typical fluffy, nice angels that people think of angels being. They're not really on the side of humanity. They're there with their own intentions. Well, they're supposed to be bringing about the apocalypse, which is the end point of the Bible. So that's the goal within Christian mythos. So yeah, Cass's arc. I mean, it's so romantic. Like Cass is this angel who ends up defying heaven and his orders and like falling, literally falling, a fallen angel for Dean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not for all of humanity, for Dean. Dean is like his connection to humanity and the person that makes him have doubt about his orders and decide to choose free will. So yeah, they start out kind of at butting heads against each other, but they grow to work together over the course of the seasons. There's a moment when Cass thinks he's going to die the next day, and Dean, who's a fan of the it's our last night on Earth, what do you want to do sort of speech, he's used that before on many Mm -hmm. people, (laughs) finds out that Cass is a virgin, because of course he is. The angels are not like having sex with people. Yes, generally not. And Dean says to him, there's two things I know for certain. One, Bert and Ernie are gay. And two, you are not going to die a virgin. <laughs> and then he takes him to like a brothel to try to get yeah. him to have sex. And it, of course, does not work out. No, it's a great episode, though. It is a really good episode. So, yeah, they bonded by the end of that arc. So the show, as Eric Kripke conceived it, was supposed to run five seasons and end at the end of the apocalypse arc. But then he left the show and the show did not end. It's a bit of a different animal after season five. But... The Cass and Dean of it all only grows over Indeed. the next 10 seasons. <laughs> so let's run through more Dean and Cass moments. In those later years, like as things are proceeding, Dean and Cass are getting closer. They're, the way that they get a hold of Cass in the early years is they can pray to him and he will hear them and then come to where they are. And there's an episode where Sam has been trying to get a hold of Cass for whatever they're going through. And he's been praying and praying and Cass never comes And he's like, Dean, you pray to Cass and see if that works better. So he prays. And then, of course, Cass immediately shows up. And Sam is all pissed about it. Like, well, I've been calling you and calling you. And Dean calls once and here you are. What the hell? Like, do you like him more than me? And Cass says, well, Dean and I do share a more profound bond. (laughs) And Dean gives him this look like, what the hell? And Cass is like, I wasn't going to mention it. Yeah, and on that same vibe, like, there's another time when they're trying to get a hold of Cass, and they can't get a hold of him, so they want Dean to call, and Dean's like, why do you guys always want me to call Cass? It's not like he lives in my ass, and then he calls him, and Cass immediately shows up right behind him in frame, and he's like, Cass, get out of my ass! (laughs) Cass goes, but I've never been in, and they have this weird, like, look at each other. Cass is known for, like, his weird angel things, where he doesn't get stuff about humanity, so he's often, like... Dean will be sleeping and he'll wake up and Cass will just be sitting there watching him sleep. (laughs) And he finds that very strange. Or like he's always standing a little too close to Dean, which they do all the time. So he'll be like, Cass, we've talked about this. Personal space. Even though the two of them kind of become known for their long, intense eye contact. Like Mm -hmm. that is a hallmark of the Dean and Cass relationship is the eye contact. To the point where the writers, when they write the scripts, 
and want them to have like one of their moments of looking at each other, they'll be writing in the script. It'll say like, then Dean and Cass, I fuck. <laughs> That's how they describe what's happening in yeah. the scene. So there's a lot of that. So much intense eye contact. There's a scene where I don't even remember the context of it, but Cass is giving Dean some sort of meaningful look as he always does. And Dean says to him, Cass, not for nothing, but the last person who looked at me like that, I got laid. <laughs> and you're like, interesting. There's also a running thing of various other characters referring to them as boyfriends or as being in love with each other. There's another angel named Balthazar who says to Dean, you have me confused with the other angel, you know, the one in the dirty trench coat who's in love with you. There's a demon who says to Dean at one point, he was your boyfriend first. (laughs) It's like on and on. The moment Cass laid a hand on you in hell, he was lost. Like there's all of this framing from various other characters about Dean being so important to Cass. The one. (laughs) There's a part of the show where things are going poorly in heaven, but, you know, the apocalypse is over. Things are all as they should be. Dean is off living some sort of picture-perfect picket fence kind of life that he imagined he wanted for himself, even though obviously, like, that's not really the life for him. But Cass is dealing with these issues in heaven. He should really go to Dean and ask for help because Dean is his person who he asks for help when he Mm -hmm. needs it. But he just doesn't want to interfere with Dean's perfect life. So there's this scene where (laughs) Dean is just raking leaves in the backyard of his perfect suburban home. And Cass is standing there, presumably invisibly, and watching him rake leaves and just like longingly longingly staring at him. (laughs) And he gets himself into trouble because he won't go to Dean. So Crowley, who's this demon who wants to be in cahoots with him and he really should not be working with this guy but he's the only potential ally around so he ends up like keeping that a secret from the winchesters for a long time which really comes to bite him in the ass because dean is doesn't want to believe that Cass would betray them and he does (laughs) but it's like he thinks he's doing it for the right reasons at one point Cass has a bunch of shit happens between that and this, so I can't even really get into it. But Cass has lost his memory after he's done something, like, really fucked up. And they think that he's dead. He walked off into, the like, a river or something and is gone. He comes back. He has no memory. Dean is looking for a healer because there's a bad thing going on with Sam where he keeps seeing Lucifer in his mind and he can't sleep. It's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so he needs a healer. And he hears about this healer named Emmanuel He goes to find the guy. He shows up. It's Cass. (laughs) Oh, my God. The scene when he sees him is like quite the reaction face. And then he spends the whole episode bringing Emmanuel to to Sam and having these like subtext laden conversations about how he was in this fight with his best friend. And like Emmanuel is trying to give him advice about the fight he had with his best friend, even though he is that best friend. And he ends up. Finally figuring out, like, oh, am I Cass? Yes, you are. And Dean gives him his trench coat, which he rescued from the water when Cass died. And he's been carrying around with him all season. And this is a season where, we haven't mentioned it, but Dean has a signature car. In our Starsky and Hutch episode, we talked about how we love signature cars. He drives this 67 Chevy Impala. But over the course of that season, there's a reason he can't drive his car. So he's been switching out cars a lot, but still bringing this trench coat from trunk to trunk with him because it's such a significant, you know, reminder of Cass. Oh, what a nice moment. So there is 
a whole purgatory thing <laughs> that yeah. happens on the show. This is one of the times where they actually go to purgatory. Yes. They've been fighting these creatures called Leviathan. And they end up in purgatory. They get separated. Dean is fighting his way through purgatory with the help of a vampire friend named Benny to find Cass and get him the hell out of there. They do eventually find him. Cass is kind of like, it's too dangerous. We don't know if I'll be able to leave. You should just leave yourself. And Mm -hmm. Dean is like, I'm not leaving without you. (laughs) And so then they do finally get to the portal to leave purgatory. Cass doesn't make it out. And Dean, of course, feels responsible because whenever anything bad happens to anyone that he cares about, he feels responsible. Finally, Cass does make it out. And Dean's been seeing him everywhere. He's like driving down the road and he thinks he sees Cass walking down the street. He's up late at night in his motel room and he looks out the window and thinks he sees Cass. And then finally Cass does just show up in their hotel room. There's a scene in that where Cass is like, let me go get cleaned up because he's all like dirty from having been in purgatory for months and months. Yeah. And he walks out of the bathroom and like all spiffed up and looking nice in his trench coat. And Dean has real look, (laughs) baffling reaction, (laughs) like a physical reaction to seeing Cass come out of the bathroom in a way where everyone is like, Jensen, what is that choice that you have made? But then finally, the emotion of it all comes out at the end because he makes it clear to Cass that he feels like he failed at getting him out of purgatory. But it turns out that Cass intentionally stayed because he didn't feel like he deserved to leave. But Dean says to him, look, I don't need to feel like hell for failing you, okay? For failing you like I failed every other godforsaken thing that I care about. I don't need it. (laughs) He's so emotional. Oh, Dean. Then it turns out the reason that he is out of purgatory is that angels got him out and they've been brainwashing Cass to do their bidding. Yeah. (laughs) And there's this angel named Naomi who has been forcing Cass to kill a bunch of fake versions of Dean because she wants him to be able to kill Dean in real life. And so she's made him kill like hundreds and hundreds of Deans to the point where he does it without flinching. But then it gets to the point where he has to kill Dean in real life. And of course, he can't do it because the power of their love breaks his brainwashing. And he's like beating the crap out of Dean. Dean's kneeling in front of him and he's saying to Cass, like, Cass, it's me. We're family. We need you. I need you. And Cass drops his angel blade and heals Dean. And Dean later is like, what broke the, you know, spell or whatever? And Cass is like, I don't know. (laughs) What could it have been? In the original script for this scene, Dean was supposed to say, I love you instead of I need you. But that got Mm. taken out. But it is a classic. Your true love allows you to break through your brainwashing trope. Yeah, exactly. A common trope. Cass becomes human. He loses his grace. He shows up at the bunker to be like, I'm human now. I've made it back to you. You will take care of me, right, Dean? And because of other things that are happening in the show, Dean kicks him out of the bunker, which is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. So Cass has to go off and like figure out how to be a human all on his own. Cass calls with a case and Dean comes to the town where he's living and finds that he is working at a convenience store. But he just walks in like nothing is wrong, which is totally fucked up. Yeah. Dean is completely in the wrong for their previous interaction. But he walks in to be like, hey, how's it going? And 
Misha talks about how he was directed to play that scene like a jilted lover. So he very much, when Dean walks in, is like clearly very hurt by their previous interaction. And then he is just sort of like, there's a lot of staring longingly through the window at Cass in that episode. Because them living apart is just wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. More plot happens. This guy named Metatron, who is an angel and like the voice of God, is this big villain of whatever season this is happening in. Cass has raised a, an army of supportive angels that are trying to fight Metatron. And Dean and Sam come to where all of the angels that work for Cass are. And Dean doesn't get along with them because pretty much Dean doesn't get along with any angels other than Cass. Yeah, (laughs) well, they're difficult. Yeah, they are difficult. So it gets to a point where all of the angels that work for Cass are asking Cass to prove his loyalty to them by killing Dean. And of course, he can't do it. He just can't do it. There's no circumstance under which he would kill Dean. So this wins over Dean, who's like, Cass, you just gave up a whole army for one guy. And meanwhile, Metatron is there saying like, this is Cass's one weakness. He's in love, dot, 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 with humanity. Sure. (laughs) Later, there's a time when Lucifer is inhabiting Cass's body because it happens. They Definitely want to get Lucifer out of cast, so they're struggling to do that. Sam is much more interested in using Lucifer for their ultimate, you know, plot goals before worrying about getting him out of cast. But Dean's priority number one is saving cast, and then they can deal with whatever's going on in the plot. And yeah, there's times when Sam's like, it's a strong vessel, Dean. It'll be fine. And he's like, it's not a vessel, it's cast. (laughs) There's this great episode called Lily Sunder Has Some Regrets where... The romantic parallels are pretty overt. Mm -hmm. They're showing this past story where you see that Cass used to be in the vessel of a lady, which is Mm -hmm. pretty exciting. It's like a past storyline where when he used to still be an angel soldier, they did this thing where they went and killed what he thought was a Nephilim baby. And a Nephilim is a child of an angel and a human. You can't have Nephilims. Yeah, it's apparently like an abomination or something. I don't know. So they killed this kid. He thought it was justified, even though it was fucked up. But then in the present, we find out that the angel from his garrison was actually a bad dude (laughs) who was like obsessed with the human lady and ended up killing her human child, not Nephilim child. And then she has since like kept herself alive through angel powers and is coming back to try to seek revenge. But Dean and Cass are the narrative parallels for this angel guy and Lily Sunder, who's the human woman. And the angel goes to kill Dean and says to Cass, I'm going to cut out your human weakness like I did mine. (laughs) Like through through the whole episode, they've been in a fight, Dean and Cass, and just having all of these married couple squabbles where, you know, they're going to see one of Cass's old friends and Dean is like, oh, you must think he's so great or whatever. (laughs) Cass is like, you know, what I like about him is that he's sarcastic, but he's thoughtful and appreciative too. And Dean's like, what is that supposed to mean? It's a good banter, tiffy episode for the two of them, for sure. Yeah. There's an episode where Cass is about to die. Sam, Dean, Mary, their mother are all standing around him. And he is like, knows he's about to die. So he says... I love you. And then the camera cuts to Dean. And then it cuts back to Cass and he goes, I love all of you. And he looks back up and the camera cuts to Dean. (laughs) And there's a lot of like, what's the difference between the I love you and I love all of you? What are we trying to say here? 
All right. Talk to me about the season 12, season 13, Apocalypse World, Nephilim arc. Sure. So we mentioned before, Nephilim's not allowed. But Mm -hmm. Lucifer ends up impregnating this woman with a Nephilim. And it's like a big deal because he's not just an angel. He's an archangel. And he's Lucifer. (laughs) And he's Lucifer. So people are pretty concerned about what this child of Lucifer and a human is going to be. Because Nephilim is supposed to end up being more powerful than the angel that sired them. Right. But Cass determines that the Nephilim is good and should be born. And so he Mm -hmm. ends up protecting the mother and the child and is like basically like, I'll I'll protect him uh, and, and raise him. But, you know, Lucifer's trying to get to his son, and the Nephilim opens up a portal to these alternate universes, and this one place (laughs) called Apocalypse World, where the Winchesters were never born. And so then the apocalypse happened, and it's a disaster. But, you know, basically, Lucifer kills Cass. So, yeah, Dean doesn't handle it well at all. Like, no. At all. So another thing that happens at the same time is their mom, who died at the beginning of the show, has come back. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten a chance to reconnect with her. And she also gets trapped in Apocalypse World and is presumed dead. And so they've lost all these people during this whole storyline with the Nephilim being born. Dean is like, we lost so many people. We lost mom. We lost. And he can't even say Cass's name. <laughs> he can't even say it. It's so sad. And they try to find Jack, who's the Nephilim, because he's wandered off. And obviously, he's really powerful. And they they need to figure out where he is and what to do with him. Mm. And Sam goes into this seaside restaurant to try to figure out if they've seen a a naked guy walking down the the street. (laughs) And when he comes back out, Dean's hand is all torn up. Like his knuckles are, are bleeding. And he's like, what happened to you? And Dean's like, nothing don't i'm worry fine about it yeah i'm cool don't worry about it and so some angels are coming to try to get jack and they don't succeed but at the end of the episode we see why his hand is all torn up and it's because he ends up praying to chuck who is god to bring back <laughs> Cass. oh because sam had asked him sam had said oh maybe we could ask chuck and dean's like you don't think i already did that yeah and that's what dean was doing praying to chuck to say like like angrily be like, you're going to bring him back. You're going to bring them all back. <laughs> like, yeah. He first, of course, asks for Cass back and yes. then everybody else. And then when it, it doesn't work, he punches the door a bunch. And that's how his mm-hmm. hand got all messed up. And also on that case, the angel that he's fighting, who's also trying to get Jack, is talking about how powerful Jack is and how his power could do anything. And Ka- Dean is like, anything and she knows he's talking about bringing Cass back so she's like oh no sweetie like Cass is dead (laughs) she's not a very nice angel so it turns out the Nephilim is just the sweetest but Dean is just despondent for like the first half of that season he just like doesn't care anymore he's lost all hope of like rescuing anyone he has a death wish like he's yeah there's a there's an episode where they're they're Dealing with these ghosts, he kills himself to go into the veil to talk to the people and figure out what they need to figure out. And he gives Sam like a shot that he's supposed to give him three minutes later to wake him up. (laughs) But then once he's in the veil, he ends up talking to Billy, who's death. He expects her to refuse to let him live again. But he's just sort of like, oh, you're not going to let me live again? Like, cool. Like, he's, he's, 
suicidal at this point. (laughs) Of course, he does end up coming back. Yes. So Cass has ended up in this place called The Empty, uh, which is where angels go when they die. And Jack ends up bringing him back, essentially. And so when he comes back, obviously, Dean is like, Cass, back. And again, they have like some some real eye contact. Oh, there's eye contact. And then a hug, which like should have been more intense than it was. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointing hug. But after (laughs) Cass comes back, Dean's perfectly happy. He's doing great. He he doesn't seem to give a shit at all that his mom's still dead. Yeah, all's right with the world. And then Sam becomes real depressed because I guess he feels he has space to be sad about their mom now that Dean is happier. And Dean's like, you were there for me when I was super depressed over Cass. I'll be here for you while you're super depressed over our shared mother. But I'm fine. (laughs) But I'm not depressed about it all because Cass is here. Sam is like, you seem good like you're in a good place now and dean is like yeah man i told you i needed a win and cast coming back is a pretty damn big win and he's just like fine now and pair that with we've already mentioned that he loves cowboys the Mm. episode right after cast comes back is an episode called tombstone where they go to tombstone and stay in a cowboy themed motel room and get to dress as cowboys basically and he puts Cass in a cowboy hat and like he's just living his fantasy and having the time of his life so yeah he's immediately fine so Cass is back Jack is sort of the main issue of the last several seasons of the show so Jack is here nobody knows what to make of him is he dangerous is he good is he bad but there's all that's complicated by the fact that he is basically Cass's son. Like he views Cass as a father because his mother, while he was in utero, was telling him like Cass will take care of you. Cass will yeah. be your god because they all wanted to make sure that he didn't view Lucifer as his father because that's not a great influence. No. Um, so he is Cass's de facto kid, and Cass and Dean are such a unit that there's like this parental thing going on where they're kind of raising this newborn adult looking super powerful nephilim (laughs) and that is like what's going on with them for the last couple of seasons so eventually jack accidentally loses his soul (laughs) which is not what you want because you know his soul is kind of what's like guiding him to use his powers for good so oh they do get mary back from Apocalypse World. And Jack, while he is soulless, ends up accidentally killing her. And it drives a wedge between Dean and Cass for a long time. Yes, because strangely enough, now Dean is really upset his mom is dead because he didn't seem Honestly, to care at all before. <laughs> exactly. He says to Cass, when, I think before they know if Mary's dead, but they know that like maybe something happened. It's possible Jack did something to Mary. And he basically is like, if something happened, like, you and I are through, he says to Cass. And you're like, damn, like, you really changed your tune since season 13. But yeah, Cass, who has always prioritized Dean above all other relationships in his life, now that he has this, like, son figure, prioritizes Jack, and it becomes an issue. So there's a time when Jack is in heaven and he's with no soul and he's not supposed to be there because it's against the rules and the empty is coming for him. Cass makes a deal with the empty to save Jack. So he offers up himself, but instead of taking him immediately in exchange for Jack, the entity tells Cass that he will let him continue living his life until the moment he's truly happy and then he will come and take him. And so you're left thinking like, I wonder what sort of moment could leave Cass truly happy. 
Yes. <laughs> but more on that later. So that leads us up to season 15. And I think we want to pivot to talking about what the creators said and did throughout our first 14 season, as well as what the fandom was like, how they interacted. And then we'll we'll loop back around to talk about yes. season 15. So we will begin with Misha Collins, who is the actor who plays Castiel. And I guess a lot of these quotes are from fan conventions. This fandom is sort of known for their fan conventions more yes. than any other show I've ever seen. Fans had many, many opportunities to ask questions of these actors. So Misha has said, hundreds and hundreds of things about Dean and Cass and Destiel and everything over the years. But I found an interesting quote from Akan where he talks about like his perception of how the concept of Destiel was addressed over the years at the cons. So this is all paraphrased because it's like several minutes of conversation. But he talks mm-hmm. about how when he first got on the show, he Googled his character basically just to be like, do people like Cass? Like, am I going to get written off the show? (laughs) I I should just Google and see what people are saying about Cass. And he stumbled upon slash fan fiction about Dean and Cass. Mm -hmm. And so he said he broached the topic at a con, not knowing any of the context around it. He brought it up because he happened upon some fic. And he said he was met with like a gasp of horror by the audience. Like the vibe of it was like, oh God, my dad just found my porn. Like people... (laughs) People did not expect or want him to even know that this existed in the early days. And then he said there was a period at the cons where it felt like people were thinking, like, maybe we can talk about Destia, maybe not. We're not sure what the vibe is. Maybe it's fine. And then there was a period at cons where it was, like, shut down. Like, the the concept of Destiel was banned as a thing that they talk about, and you would get in trouble if you even brought it up. And then after that, he said, now it seems like nobody really cares anymore. Like, everybody's just like, ah, whatever. People talk about all kinds of stuff on the internet. Like, who cares? And he says, Jensen and I have had conversations about it. We've all had conversations about it. I think we all kind of feel like, great, good on ya. And then he jokingly says, Jensen and I don't write a ton of Destio, but that's just because we live it all the time. (laughs) So yeah, Misha's whole vibe on Destio is pretty much like jokingly confirming that they're having sex all the time. And that's how he handles it. All right. Well, what about the other member of our pair? Jensen Ackles, who plays Dean Winchester, kind of... uh, like exemplifies the arc that Misha was talking about. So he generally, you know, over the years would refer to them the way that we see people refer to pairs like this all the time. They're brothers. They have like, they're like war buddies. They're as close as guys could be when they're not brothers, that sort of pairing conversation. Mm -hmm. He definitely in the early days of this seemed to, struggle with how to address the topic so there is a fairly well-known within the fandom moment at this 2013 new jersey convention where a fan got up and asked not even about dean and Cass. they started to ask a question where they say i love your character becoming more comfortable with himself this season i'm bisexual and i've noticed impossible subtext and just that phrase made the entire crowd at the convention lose their whole shit yeah, apparently people started booing and just like, ah, oh. Yeah, just like all kinds of reactions. They're yelling, they're freaking out. People are like, oh, God, how could you say such a thing? Uh, pandemonium. And Jensen, I guess trying to like diffuse the situation, <laughs> starts yeah. to be like, 
I'm so confused. Like he's trying to be like, I don't even understand what question you're asking. Then he jokingly is like, remember how earlier I said I was so excited to be in New Jersey? Like, <laughs> that's all changed now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He turns to the questioner and says, don't ruin it for everybody now, which you can read in many different ways. The fan says, I don't mean to be disrespectful at all. At this point, Jared's trying to jump in and be like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> and then Jensen says, I still don't know what the question is. I'm going to pretend I don't know what the question is. And he basically just like moves on to the next person. Right. If he taught classes on how to deal with questions like this, I think this would be the what not to do. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not it's not a, a well-handled response. But yeah, I think that was my reading as well. As like he was trying to diffuse the situation and just taking the wrong approach. But the crowd w- was going wild. Interestingly, this must be in the, the phase that Misha is talking about where everyone had decided this is a topic we do not discuss right. <laughs> at conventions. Uh, and there were cons. I don't know. We couldn't find evidence about this specific con, but there were definitely cases of cons that actually did like ban questions about Destiel and about Dean sexuality. And like they would make people show them their questions before they asked them. And people who wanted to ask those questions, it would be like, no. Yeah, they're not doing that. For whatever reason, like some people thought that the actors had asked for them to do that because it made them uncomfortable. Some people were like, they're doing it because clearly the fans the crowd get really goes rowdy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's too much. Everyone's like throwing hands, man. We can't have this. But yeah, there's definitely there was like tension between different sections of the fandom. Some people are really pissed those questions are getting asked. Some people are like, I'm just trying to ask my question about Like, I'm bisexual and I associate myself with Dean and I just want to know what Jensen thinks about that. So there's a lot of tension in the early days. In 2014, which is just a year later, at another convention, somebody asked about Destiel. Jensen says, the Cass and Dean thing has gotten out of proportion. Starts talking about how there was less of their their duo over the course of Mm -hmm. that season. And he sort of jokingly is like, and I think Misha and I were both pretty happy about that. And he says, I don't think there's anything secret about their relationship, though a lot of people wish there was. And I certainly know that Misha and I don't play that. Which is a little contradicted by some of the earlier things we mentioned in the script and the way the directors directed them maybe oh yeah but i mean we'll get back to more on that when we get into the director and writer quotes but yeah there's a lot of contradictory things being said over the course of this by the time we get to 2017 somebody asked him another question at a con about destiel and he straight up says destiel doesn't exist and like at that point you know that feels pretty definitive i think People who shipped Destiel were probably pretty bummed at that point. And all of these things, particularly beginning in 2013, led to this like fandom perception, at least, that Jensen was very anti-Destiel. Didn't want to Mm -hmm. talk about it. Didn't want it to happen in the show. And also, this also got tied up with people being like, Jensen is homophobic. (laughs) Right. That's like a whole other narrative. Um, Over the years, though... Between, I guess, 2017 and now, he definitely got more, like, open to talking about it, a little more jokey, a a little more accepting, less like, you know, don't bring that shit here sort of vibe when people were asking the questions. So in 2019 at a con, a fan asks Jared and Jensen at a panel, why isn't it Sam Steele? instead of Destiel. And Jared says, Sam has better taste. And Jensen's like, Dean has no taste, clearly. 
So yeah, they definitely got to a point where it was like he was fine talking about SEL, but in the early days, less fine. Meanwhile, Jared Padalecki, who plays Sam, is just on the fringes of this the whole time and was clearly delighted by the <laughs> entire thing. <laughs> like anytime people brought up Destiel or brought up Jensen and Misha, like any of that, Jared is there to throw fuel on the flames and like joke about the two of them sleeping together because he clearly found it hysterical. Yes. So that's the Jared vibe. But then what do we get from the writers and directors? And there are many writers and directors of this show. We don't have anything from Eric Kripke here about Destiel because while people were shipping them in seasons four and five, it didn't really get like as overt as it did over the later seasons. So I don't know that he had a whole lot of times that he was pressed to answer for the Dean and Cass dynamic. Right. So yeah, we have all kinds of stuff from the writers and directors. Guy B says, I'm not sure how people get upset and offended when a storyline that doesn't exist doesn't exist. <laughs> so I'm very much in the vein of Destiel doesn't exist. Yeah. We have another quote from Adam Glass, who is a writer and was a supervising producer in season six. This is great. I love this one. (laughs) He says, we have many gay friends, family and workers in our lives and the utmost respect for the LGBT cause. But I did not create these characters. They are not mine to define. (laughs) I love that. He came in in season six. So he's like, well, I didn't invent them. So I have nothing to say about their sexuality at all. And it's like, you're literally writing the show. (laughs) Yeah, you're writing them now. So that they're yours now. Unless, yeah. unless unless, Eric Kripke made you sign something that was like, you will never make these characters anything but straight. <laughs> You're, I think you can, you can do what you want, really. Which maybe this. he did. Who knows? I mean, that would be fascinating. If that happened, <laughs> can someone please leak, <laughs> leak that? Yeah. Who's, who's up next? What else do we have, Maddie? So we have Chad Kennedy, who was a – this is how old this show was. He was a, a WB executive. Before the CW was the CW, (laughs) the show aired on the WB. So anyway, Chad is an executive at the network. He says, I support the idea of bi lead characters, but on this specific show, it is not our intention for these characters. Adding that if it served the story, I would support it. (laughs) A very Mark Gaddis sort of answer. But also the idea that like it has to be a plot point if you want them to not be straight. Like, the show has to be about that. Well, again, very Sherlock. Yeah. Someone else could go make a show about a detective who's gay, but that's not my show. That's not what the show is about. Robert Singer, who is a longtime executive producer of the show, he must have been with them, if not the whole 15 seasons, then, like, most of the 15 seasons. So there's a beloved... I I mentioned her, Charlie, their lesbian friend, a beloved character who ends up getting killed on the show. People were very mad about it because the show, I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but like the show does not have a great record with female characters or LGBT characters or characters of color, like to be fair. So she died. The show got a lot of pushback. Writers were asked, producers were asked, the actors were asked, but I think they all tried to be like, we didn't write it. But Robert Singer being asked about like the treatment of gay characters on the show generally and Charlie specifically, in the context of a larger quote, says, I know there's a lot of stuff that goes around out there about how we treat gay people and the whole Destiel thing. I can tell you, I know the actors get this question all the time. I can tell you in the writer's room, this never, ever comes up. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're a little unclear 
what he's saying never comes up, whether it's Destiel specifically or... Treatment of gay characters. Yeah. Either way, like, you couldn't be more aware of it. It's not like this is a concept that is foreign to them. I find it very hard to believe that it, quote, never ever comes up in the writer's room. And also, it probably should if everyone's picking up on this pattern of you constantly killing gay characters. Someone should be like, uh, uh, guys, we're, we're doing it again. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't do that. It's an idea. But then that's all your traditional queer baby uh, quotes we don't love. Then we start to get into some more interesting things as the show goes on. So the scene that I mentioned earlier in Everybody Hates Hitler, where this guy flirts with Dean and he like totally gets flustered. There's a director's commentary with Ben Edlund, who wrote it, and Phil Screecha, who directed it, talking about that scene and how much they liked it and how interesting they thought Jensen played it. Like, I, I guess he mm-hmm. didn't really do it the way they would have imagined it when it started. So Ben's saying, like, he, Jensen did amazing in this scene. Phil's saying, yeah, he's so funny. Like, the, they're, like, talking about the fun little improv yeah. he did in the scene and how good he is. But then he says, it was so much fun to shoot that because he played it so right down the middle. Like, just more awkward about it. Like, wow, somebody likes me. <laughs> and Ben says, well, that's the weird thing, is that it reads in this weird way where it does feel like Dean's a little bit, like, it's almost like a romantic comedy kind of fluster, which mm. is very interesting for the character of Dean, like, because it just sort of suggests this weird, this potential. And Phil says, this potential for love in all places. And Ben says, oh, Aaron and Dean, they could come together. He's had a rough life. He's a hard character to, you know, settle down with. Now, it's interesting that they see the what everyone else sees when they watch the scene. Yeah. I also find it subconsciously interesting that he calls it weird three or four times. <laughs> Over the course of that quote. But yeah, they definitely are starting. The creators are seeing what we are seeing when they're right. making this stuff. And like, you, it's hard for me to imagine someone watching that scene and not reading it as a romantic comedy kind of fluster. Because yeah. that's what it is. And then as we get to the later years, they brought on writers that were much more comfortable being like, yeah, sure, Destiel, cool. So there's this writer, Robbie Thompson, who's on the later seasons. And I have this Twitter exchange where people are asking him um, questions about the show. And someone says, how is Cass finding Sam and Dean? Don't they still have angel protection on their ribs? Because that's a thing that happened many seasons earlier. And Robbie says, that's from before my time, but I'll guess it's because they have a special bond. Uh, And someone says, that's kind of a big thing to forget, but all will be forgiven if you make Destiel canon. And Robbie says, Destiel isn't canon? Question mark. Smiley face. Smiley face. (laughs) So that became the vibe of the writers later on the show. There's a writer named Bob Barons that we'll end up talking about a lot later, who was a gay writer that they brought on and it spurred like that conversation that we have talked about a lot where it's like, will a gay writer in the room make the characters gay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort of thing. But yeah, he and Misha had a, a big part in some Castiel arc stuff that ends up happening later. But yeah, that's the writers. There are many, many, there are like, got to be about 100 writers at this point. So they've said a lot of varied things. Yeah. A lot of a lot of hands mm-hmm. on this. So many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. So let's talk about how fans and creators interact. Super, Supernatural, a very special fandom, unique in many ways for various reasons. We found this interesting a source talking about the organization of the Supernatural fandom, and they do organize. This is a type of fandom that like lobbies for their wishes and desires. Yeah. And they talk about how there were a lot of 
fans that migrated over to the supernatural fandom from other genre places, specifically like the X Files. Mm-hmm. It seems to always help your fandom hit the ground running if it's sort of established by other fans who already know how to yeah. set up fan structures and exactly. So all these X File fans who already had been on like the early days of the internet organizing their fandom that way came over and knew how to do fandom. So they knew how to have like yeah. archives and email lists and forums and how to lobby a network for stuff that you wanted and organize letter writing campaigns and that sort of thing. So they brought all of that to Supernatural and it ended up being like early on, they had this fan run Supernatural wiki with all the information, which has been around almost as long as the show existed and a lot of like hashtag campaigns which I guess is the modern successor to a letter writing campaign Mm -hmm. so that sort of thing also making this as we mentioned also making this fandom interesting is the conventions like I really am not aware of another show that does conventions like Supernatural does conventions they would do several of them a year fans had a lot of access to the actors and the writers of these shows in a face-to-face way that yeah the only thing i can think of that's even slightly is star trek because there's yeah. tons of those conventions as well but um other than that but yeah for a show that is currently airing to have this much access is an interesting thing and because of the amount of writer turnover there came to be this interesting vibe in the fandom of like the writers are not God. The writers are just the writers that happen to be writing the show right now. <laughs> and so there's this vibe of like, they don't know best. They're just some other people involved in the show. And we can disagree with them about the nature of the canon or the characters and that sort of thing right. in an interesting well, I think, you know, as I mentioned to you, in some ways in the, in the conversations we've had around canon, if Supernatural is Eric Kripke's baby... And season Mm -hmm. one through five is his vision. And that's, you know, sort of the starting canon. In many ways, after season five is fan fiction of the show. It's these other people coming in and it's canon because it's airing on the network and whoever is approving it or whatever. But right. But who are they to like, who who made them God, right? They're just like some more other people. Which actually does speak to that quote from that writer who came on in season six. And it's like, I can't say. And it's like, well, you're writing the show. So like, you're agreeing that what you're writing isn't canon? What's happening? Yeah, basically. He's like, what I write doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's not approved by Eric Kripke. So, you know, we're all just guessing. It's fascinating. What would Neil Gaiman say? So yeah, there, there's this interesting vibe between writers and fans. They also are an incredibly productive fandom in terms mm-hmm. of fan content. It was in the news recently that the cast slash D ship had reached more than a hundred thousand works on AO3. Way to go guys. You no did one it. else has done. I mean the next highest is like maybe in the 80s or something. So this happened and Misha tweeted about it. Because it's, it's an accomplishment. That's a lot of works. As an example of their hashtagging campaigns, there was this campaign in 2014 called... It actually didn't start from the fans. So the show wanted to do a thing called hashtag ask supernatural, where they wanted the, to engage the fans, to ask them whatever questions they had on Twitter. And it went awry <laughs> because so many of the fans were like, oh, you want us to ask you questions? And they started asking them questions about 
Destiel and their treatment of gay characters and like all of these things that they weren't supposed to be asking at the conventions, apparently. And they've, I think the show ended up just like deleting the original tweet and kind yeah. of pretending the they whole were thing like, abort, didn't happen. Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> If you ask for fan engagement, you're going to get fan engagement. But yeah, that's, I mean, we'll talk probably more about it later, but that's the general sense of what a supernatural fandom is very like. Very active so, fandom, very vocal, very yeah. willing to talk to the creators. And obviously, by the time we get after the Crypt era, right again, this is sort of height of Tumblr, Twitter starting. Oh, yeah. That whole. I mean, 2014 super. is like... That's a time. It's yeah. like, that's a time on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. So an interesting soup. But let's talk about AO3. And it's our usual time for that. As we've already mentioned, the ship is very popular. It is the number one ship on AO3 and probably has been like as long as they've been making the list of the most popular ships. On yeah, AO3. it started in 2013. Yeah. So they have like almost 40% of the supernatural fic on AO3 is Dean Cass fic. As I said, there are 100,000 plus works tagged Cass slash Dean. They're a juggernaut. So the number one most kudos fic for Dean Cass is one called Twist and Shout, which is like a pretty famous fic in the fandom. It's a period thing. It's like known for, you know, being sad and all sorts of various stuff. It's super long. We didn't read that one. We did our usual thing of skipping to the next one. And I was fascinated because I expected the fandom so mature. There's so many works. Longer works tend to have more kudos because there's so many chapters. I expected the top several fic for Destiel to be like multi-chapter, tens of thousands of word fics. The number two fic is less than 2,000 words. Yeah. <laughs> it's and a, I was like, huzzah! Yeah, you were like, I have so much reading to do. I can fit this into my schedule. Dean Doesn't Listen to Eurythmics by Annie D or Scaramouche. Tell me about the fic. So this is, this has got a couple tropes in it, really. It's got a it's only tropey. one bed trope. And it's it's short. It's explicit. Cass is a human. He now needs to sleep. They only have two beds in the bunker. Apparently they don't no, have they're, a couch. They're, they're, in a, they're in a motel room. They're not in the Oh, room. are they? Okay. Yeah, that's, they're in the same room as Sam when this happens. Oh, I thought they were in different rooms. Poor Sam. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> so they... Dean loses rock, paper, scissors, has to share a bed with Cass. In oh, the poor of- Dean. He tells Cass says he'll stay on his side, but in the middle of the night, he wakes up and Cass is like draped over him. And, you know, sexual stuff ensues. Ensues, yeah. And then and poor then, Sam, I guess, yeah. is in the next bed. Well, the, the very last line of it is Sam being like, God, I should have gotten another room. Right. <laughs> I, I swear, like, I thought they were in the bunker, so I thought he was hearing him through the walls. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense because it's a bunker, but like, oh, poor Sam. Yeah, that's gross, guys. That's real gross. Your brother is here. So we said that we would circle back to season 15. Now I think is the moment to do that. Where do we find ourselves at the beginning of season 15? So at the end of season 14, God has come back. Chuck has come back. And he's tried to get everyone to kill Jack. Mm Because... Nephilims are problems. We know this. And Dean won't do it, even though Jack killed his mom and he's real mad about it. He can't he can't shoot Jack point blank. Chuck is mad that Dean doesn't kill Jack. So he's like, 
I'm ending everything. It's the end of the world. And that's season 15. He's opened the gates of hell. All of these souls have, have escaped. And basically they have to figure out how to defeat God in season 15. And that's sort of the Yeah. The but premise. It, it intermixed with this and them needing to figure out how to defeat God, they have come to the realization through all of this that much as they thought they had free will over the course of the last 15 seasons – that may or may not be the case. Like Chuck kind of makes it out to be that he had this plan. They've all been doing exactly how he's been writing them the whole time. There becomes this interesting meta narrative of the show where Chuck is, he is a writer like earlier in the show, you meet him and he's a writer. And so the writer as God becomes this interesting stand in for like the writers of the actual supernatural show. It's a whole thing. But anyway, Dean is horrified to learn that he's actually been being controlled by God this whole time. And he thought he was in control of his own actions. So what does anything mean if he's just been following a script the whole time? And so he is like venting about this to Cass. And he's saying nothing about our lives is real. Everything that we've lost, everything we are has become a because of Chuck. So maybe you could stick your head back in the sand. Maybe you can pretend that we actually had a choice. I can't. And Castile says, Dean, you asked, what about all of this is real? We are. <laughs> Which is so sweet. And there's a, a parallel to it a couple of episodes later when Sam and his girlfriend Eileen have also been confronting this and Eileen gets controlled by Chuck to hurt Sam and she has to leave because she's like, fucked up about it emotionally and she's saying after what's happened i don't know what's real anymore and sam kisses her and says i know that was real so it's like interesting parallels at the beginning of the season jack has been killed but his body is still around and so his vessel is being possessed by this demon named belphegor who is like real sassy yeah (laughs) and of course Cass it like hurts him to even look at this demon inhabiting the body of his son it's real emotional time and they come up with this plan to close hell. Cass and Belphegor go into hell to enact the plan. Cass figures out that Belphegor has actually been playing them and wants to take hell for himself. He ends up killing Belphegor, which throws a wrench in their plan. And Dean is really mad at Cass that he didn't just stick to the plan. So he's they're having this fight at the end of an episode. And he says, why didn't you just stick to the damn plan? And Cass says, the plan changed, Dean. Something went wrong. Dean says, yeah, why does that something always seem to be you? <laughs> mean (laughs) it's so hurtful and Cass says I don't think there's anything left to say and he turns to leave the bunker and Dean says where are you going and Cass says I think it's time for me to move on and he just walks out and the final shot is Dean just like sitting there not saying anything because he's such a coward so they are apart for several episodes of the show and then they have to go to get this thing called the leviathan blossom they're together in purgatory they haven't worked out their issues about being mad at each other So they're like having these bickering fights the whole way through. And Dean's like, at one point, sorry, I brought it up. Maybe if you didn't just up and leave us. And Castiel's like, you didn't give me a choice. You couldn't forgive me and you couldn't move on. You were too angry. I left, but you didn't stop me. (laughs) Which those two lines are the perfect encapsulation of their entire relationship because Mm -hmm. their whole thing, the insecurity of Dean is that he's afraid of abandonment and the insecurity of Cass is that he is like, needs to be worth like valuable for someone to want him around. And so their whole thing could be solved if Dean would just be like, Cass, I want you to stay. And Cass would just be like, tell me that you care about me. And Dean would be like, and I'll never leave you. you. 
Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's all very simple, but they yeah. just are really dumb boys. <laughs> and so they end up getting separated. They get attacked. Dean is trying to find Cass because the rift that they need to go through to get back from purgatory is going to close in a certain amount of time. He's wandering around trying to find him and he decides he's going to pray to Cass. You would think to be like, meet me at this spot. <laughs> meet me <laughs> at that's the rift. Not why he, praised him. he gives this very emotional, like confessional type prayer to Cass saying, Cass, I hope you can hear me. That wherever you are, it's not too late. I should have stopped you. You're my best friend, but I just let you go because it was easier than admitting I was wrong. And then he's like crying at this point. He sniffles. Mm-hmm. He drops to his knees to continue praying. I I don't know why I get so angry. I just know, I know that it's it's just always been there. And when things go bad, it just comes out. And I can't stop it, no matter how. I love this transcription includes sniffles. sniffles. <laughs> how bad I want to. I just can't stop it. And I I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. I'm sorry it took me so long. I'm sorry it took me till now to say it. Cass, I'm so sorry, man. I hope you can hear me. I hope you can hear me. And then he like pulls himself together and gets up to keep walking. He's Jensen's great in the scene, by the way. He's really yeah. crashing it. Jensen's so always tears. great. So they end up finding a lot, each other. Of, a lot of emotion as always for your friend. Your platonic best friend. Yeah. So they find each other. They have a very intense hug. Much more of the hug you would have wanted from the scene when Cass comes back to life. And Dean says to him, okay, Cass, I need to say something. And Cass says, you don't have to say it. I heard your prayer. And then Dean sort of has this look on his face like maybe there was more he wanted to say. But Mm -hmm. he, you know, goes along with it. So then this season proceeds. We're going down to what's going to be some sort of big showdown because they still need to beat God. Plus... Billy, who is death, sort of has it it out for Dean. So there are lots of big bads that they're going to need to fight. And it brings us to, you know, the final three episodes of the show where everything gets wrapped up. But we're going pretty long right now. So and I think we both have a lot to say, like a lot to say about the final (laughs) three episodes of Supernatural. So yeah, we're going to save it for part two. So You all have to check back in 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 two weeks to see what we think about that finale. Again, we're not going to do the was it queer baiting bit. We'll save that. Yeah, that's a question for the the final wrap up discussion. I don't know if we have any other thoughts to close this out. This uh, this journey we've been on for 15 seasons. I guess one thing that we didn't talk about throughout the moments as we were walking through them that I also mentioned to you before recorded is there is this interesting shift in Dean's character over the seasons where, yes. like we said at the beginning, he's this like real macho womanizer guy and he he's sleeping with women. And then as the show continues, that just stops. Yeah, it just goes away almost completely you never see him interested in any women really not you know having casual sex it's just like yeah it's like there's a time where he does get as we mentioned there's a time when he finds some woman and tries to like live a normal person life and be in a Mm -hmm. relationship that of course doesn't work out but even that's and then that's early Yeah. yeah and then you know there's the occasion it's honestly becomes more references than actual actions like he'll still mention, you know, that night with the, you know, so and so twins or whatever, and like reminisce about his days of, of 
debauchery, but you just really don't see it very much. There is a time when he's mourning the death of Cass, when he kind of like tries to pretend to be fine because he realizes that Sam's really worried about him. And the way that he pretends to be fine is that he gets really drunk and presumably goes out and has casual sex because Sam finds him in the morning with like a bra on his face or something. Mm. But it's like that he's using it. It's so clear how wrong it is, right? Like he's using that to be like, I'm fine. This is how a fine Dean would act. Even like though it's not how he has acted for years. Right. So yeah, it just really goes away. Maybe because his emotional needs are being satisfied by a relationship he has with a certain other someone. Yeah, could be. Possible. But it like, yeah, Sam never stops trying to have a relationship. So it is an interesting difference. <laughs> All right. So that's the intro. You should have a good grasp of Cass and Dean at this point. Yeah. And I guess I'll say, like, the show has a lot of baggage. You've probably heard about the show. It's a CW show. You probably thought, uh, it's probably nonsense if you hadn't watched it. And there's some nonsense there. But I will say, I'm very fond of it. It has its issues. But I like the show. And it has a lot of, there's, like, highs and lows. (laughs) But the highs are high, you know? Yeah. And if you're intimidated by the 15 seasons, what we always tell people is, just pretend it's a five-season show since Mm -hmm. that's a complete arc watch the five seasons and then when you finish you can make your own decision yeah you can decide if you want to continue to hang out with the boys or you're like nope i enjoyed that story and it was enough all right supernatural two Uh, weeks y'all catch you in two weeks we'll be talking about the same thing (laughs) if you have comments questions concerns you probably won't catch us before we record the next part but we do want to hear from you about supernatural i'm sure you also have thoughts reach out to us at ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on twitter and tumblr at ltbkpod if you like the podcast tell a friend and new episodes come out every other friday at six o'clock eastern 